I mean, that video was actually done by a lady we didn't know. She just wanted to come and do a, do a piece on food banks. So um, uh, to be honest, we've had a number of those uh, types of things um, going on during our time at Food Bank, which is uh, really, really great. Okay, this is the final one in our series on marriage. I hope uh, you found it helpful and interesting. Just to say we will do a, a question and answer upstairs. I already know that the first film's at two o'clock, but that won't make me preach any longer. <laughs> I'm just letting you know that. So when it comes to half 11, which is in 15 minutes, you don't think to yourself, oh no, what's going to happen? Um, I just want to remind you again that we have copies of this book, The Meaning of Marriage by uh, Tim Keller. I think I said on the first week, best book I've ever read on marriage. And it's the best book you could ever read, whether you are single or married. Um, I suggest you get a copy. We're selling them for £5, which is cheaper than if you yourself went on the internet to try and purchase one. So you can get them upstairs, uh, probably on the welcome desk. Um, I would really encourage you. This, uh, much of what I say uh, comes out of that book. Uh, Tim Keller did a nine-week course on marriage uh, to a church which was 80% single people. And um, if I read again, he, he says in the book, it's the most popular sit downloaded series that he's ever done was that nine-week series of marriage. So I really would recommend that. A, a couple of other books that I have found really helpful, The Marriage Book by Nikki and Silla Lee, and also The Marriage Course itself. So uh, I'd encourage you, if you are married, particularly if you've been married for maybe a couple of years or more, do The Marriage Course. It's a brilliant uh, opportunity just to build and invest in your marriage. So that book as well. Um, this book I'm really only recommending just because I love John Piper. Um, and... He has a chapter in here on uh, brothers love your wives. And uh, it, it, I mean, he's got loads of really, really great chapters. And, and uh, this, this is just a brilliant book and a really encouraging book. So um, those are the books. I recommend them. First week, we talked about marriage and singleness. And, and really, as Timothy Keller basically said in his book, he said, if singles don't have a, a healthy view of marriage, um, then they'll either... Um, they'll either desire marriage too much or they'll desire it too little and that they must have a healthy view of what it means to be married. And we, and we looked at some of the challenges of being single and last week we looked at marriage and sex and um, we just talked about how does sex operate within Christian marriage and, and what's the sort of fundamental sort of value that we should give it. And we, we talked about sex being covenantal, sex being costly um, and also sex being something that builds over time and that, that you'll realise when you get married how complicated sex can be because it's affected by everything else. So if you can continue to have good sex in your marriage, things are, are, probably are going well because, because everything is affected by it um, uh, or everything affects it. And so we looked at that. Um, I just want to read a scripture to you, which is, um, in some ways, it quotes the scripture that I've used the last few weeks, but it expands on it um, and really is the basis, I think, of how we look at marriage. And this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 uh, onwards, and it says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you ordained and instituted and created and built marriage for purpose. And you created it in order that it might show us something of who you are and what you're like and how you respond to us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that today we will begin to see a little bit more about what it means to be married as a Christian. That it's not just to be a little bit better, but it is fundamentally different to what we see around us. I pray that you will speak to us, each one. I pray that this message will bring revelation to the believer or the unbeliever, to the married and the unmarried. In Jesus' name, amen. Just going to give you a little bit of an insight into what I'm like. and Because uh, um, uh, if you only never see me up here, then, then, then in some ways you won't get a really good idea of what I'm like. Um, just a personal testimony. When I was um, in my late teens and, and you know, when I got married to Pauline and just before I got married and all around that sort of uh, phase of my life and in the early part of our life, if I'm really honest, I had this inevitable sense of failure. Yeah? There, was, there, was, there was something in me that I just thought, in the end, I'm not sure that our marriage will work. That's what I used to think. I used to wonder how marriage, marriages survived. My history, as I've said before, um, in, in, in my family, where I've got, I've got a brother and two sisters, and, and obviously a mum and dad, uh, I had a mum and dad, um, there have been five divorces just in my family alone. And I came from a culture, uh, like an Afro-Caribbean culture, where, where marriages didn't really work. You know, I don't need to go back too many generations to find my grandmother was one of 13, and most of them were different relationships, different partners for different people. That my dad has four brothers, um, and none of them have the same father. And then he has, on his father's side, a number of other brothers and sisters. And that wasn't unique to his family. That was part of the culture, um, particularly that that he grew up in, um, in the West Indies. And so I didn't have a history of great marriages to look at. I didn't have great examples. And then when we first got married, lots of our friends, it seemed they got married and then they got divorced quite, quite quickly. A lot of them, their marriages sort of began to fall apart. And so I had this sense in me of, will it work? You know, the, the, the prospects, 
don't look as good as they could have looked. They don't look fantastic. Will it work? And I remember thinking that, and without probably realising it, without articulating it, I realised that we began to work on our marriage in a way that maybe we hadn't before. We began to look at the mistakes of others and think, what can we learn from that? We began to build on what was already, we already had quite a good ability to communicate to one another. And although we wouldn't have articulated it, with God's help, we began to build up our marriage. But I, but I partly did it because, because I looked around me and thought, oh my goodness me, how are we going to survive? That's what I began to think. Now, I don't know how many of you dream about, uh, like, you know, you have your dream house, your dream job, maybe your dream partner. Um, how many of you watch programs which talk about, you know, people who are moving to their dream house? Have you ever watched those types of programs? Is it just Pauline and I who watch them? No, there's one or two others. There aren't many of us. Um, but when you think about your dream house, just think about it for a moment. Uh, for Pauline, because I don't particularly have a dream house, but for Pauline, it would be, oh, actually, it's in Dulwich, her dream house. is actually already there. Um, it would be like, you know, big rooms. It would be a nice big uh, garden. It would be probably quite old, uh, but done up to a high new standard. And, uh, you know, it would be well kept and, you know, just lovely furniture. And, uh, and you know, there's these big sweeping drives. And she loves all of that, yeah? And uh, we, we often often have to go and look at these houses and we sit there. She says, oh, have you seen this? I said, no, I've seen it before, uh, but we'll look at it again. This new house, this dream house that we have and that you might have in your head, a dream property. Oh, I'd love to own a property like that by the sea, on the cliff top. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And often when we think those types of things, we don't think about the work that nobody, when they dream about the lovely house, thinks about the work that it might take to do that. What you expect to do one day is to receive a key, open a door, and say, thank you, God. Isn't this lovely? I've got this dream house. And all I've done is I've opened a door, and I've walked in. We don't imagine what it will take for it to look like that. But we do imagine that it will make us happy. My dream house, it would just make me happy. I won't have to do any work, and won't it be Wonderful. Now, I know there are people who are, you know, Garth's a builder, um, but I don't think he gets excited about the work. Do you know what I mean? I don't think he sits there thinking, I just can't wait to get into that house and knock down those walls and dig those foundations. Nobody gets excited about those things. We can often think that same type of thing about a partner, a husband or a wife. And if you're single, you can look forward to the day oh I'd love to be married to someone oh uh, you know to someone oh no not him but somebody like that wouldn't it be wonderful you know they just walk in oh did you notice him he noticed me and you can go through that whole process of of thinking about the perfect person and you're looking for that perfect man or perfect woman that you want to marry and you don't think about the fact that you don't think about the work you don't even realize it takes work you just think well here they are they look great what more do I want what more is there? They look great. I'm great. We're going to get married. What more do you want, Owen? Don't overcomplicate marriage, please. I already have complications in my life. I don't need you to add to them. We think about that. The perfect, if I can find the perfect person, it will take less work. That's what we think. I won't need to do anything. It will just happen. They will make me happy, and it won't take much to do it. Now, the truth is, if you enter marriage like that, 
And it might be subconscious. No one, you don't openly say that. You don't openly say, I'm just looking for the perfect person not to take any work. But if you enter marriage like that, you hit a reality check pretty quickly. Yeah, maybe, maybe a few hours later. <laughs> for some of you, it might be days. But you enter it very, very quickly. You hit this reality check where you realize, oh, perfection, just, it's not what I thought. It's just not what I thought it was going to be to be perfect. Now, when I think about my marriage to Pauline, if I described what I thought about marriage. I married Pauline at that moment, and you know, hear me out here, so don't boo at the time. At that moment, Pauline wasn't perfect. Yeah? Pauline has since become perfect for me, but man, has that taken work. And, and the, same, the, the other way around as well. So I, can, I knew, I knew I was going to say the wrong thing. I was not perfect for Pauline. And to be honest, and she would probably say, and you're still not perfect for me. I mean, there are still a number of things that need to, need to get sorted. But it takes work. It takes work. But the truth is, you have a choice when you get married. You have a choice to engage in that work enough to get to the point where you both become what you need and what the other person wants. Or, in truth, you have a choice not to engage with it. You have a choice just to make it tick over. You don't want to go too deep. You don't want to dig too much. Yeah? You have a choice because it does take work to make marriage work well. And what I want to do today is just give a little bit of a new perspective on marriage. It's not unique to me. I talk about it all the time, but I do think it's a, it's a perspective. In the same way you have to build a house you have to build a business. You have to build a church. And we're, we're discovering that, aren't we? That it takes, that, that building a church is more than just praying and reading the Bible, yes? It's more than that. I was talking to somebody on Friday where it was like, I, I, I thought that what the pastor would do most of the time is read the Bible and pray. And it's not that I don't read the Bible and pray, but I don't do that all of the time. And you might be thinking to yourself, but what are you doing then? Yeah, and people would ask me that, what are you doing then? But, um, but it is more, it takes more than reading the Bible and praying to build a church. It takes more than um, uh, just sort of finding the perfect person to build a marriage. And just like I said about houses need to be built, and they all have certain things in common. So every house that's well built has certain things in common. It has good foundations, it is well designed, and then it's well built. And that might cost. Marriages are the same. Marriages are the same. You don't just marry somebody and think, if I choose well, yeah, I'll be okay. Actually, if you choose well, the danger is you think because you've chosen well, it will require less work. If you don't work at your marriage, you, you can survive, you can get by, but maybe you won't fulfill everything that you could do. And maybe you won't find that your marriage partner becomes all that they could do for you. So you need to understand that marriage takes work, but it will be worth it in the end. Now, we're not at the end. Paulie and I have been married for 22 years next month or in September. We're nowhere near the end of marriage. But what I can say from our experience is it gets better if you work at it. And if I think of other marriages I know that are about the same sort of uh, age and stage and people same sort of age and stage as us, some you can see, they've worked at it, others haven't worked at it, 
and that, you know, that maybe it's not as fulfilling for them. It takes work, but if it's worth doing in the end. It's a worthwhile purpose. Nikki and Silla Lee say in their book, for many people, the most significant achievement of their lives will be the building of a loving marriage. And do you know what? Not only do I agree with that, I would say if that was the most significant thing I did in my life, I'd be happy, particularly with the history. If I managed to build a loving, successful marriage over and above anything else, I would be happy. I'd be satisfied. I really would. Because that, it has become something that's so important to me. But a good marriage also benefits the community. Years ago, Barbara Bush who was, at the time, she was the wife of the president, George Bush, was talking to graduating students. So students who were looking to move on in their career, and they were were at the beginning of it, they were looking for stuff in the future. She said this to them, our success as a society depends not on what happens in the White House, but on what happens inside your house. And do you know, again, that's true? Yeah, It's not the government, it's not parliament, that put young people on the streets to cause problems. Parliament don't do that. They don't, they don't pass laws that encourage that. It's what happens in your house and it's what happens in my house. So building a marriage is, first of all, a beneficial thing to do uh, for you yourself, but it's also a great privilege to be able to do it. But there are barriers to progress. Taking this idea of building, there are barriers to progress. The first barrier is this. It's a bit like houses. And again, Garth will understand this. You get what you call cowboy builders, don't you? That's what they call them, cowboy builders who find shortcuts to success. And we live in a world where people look for shortcuts. I can see Garth laughing there because he understands cowboy builders. They're finding shortcuts to success. And our life, our world is really about shortcuts, isn't it? We like things easy. Oh, I deserve a break. I'm so tired. You know, what did you do? Oh, well, I just got up. My goodness me. I got up and, you know, maybe I helped the girls for a couple of minutes. I, I need a break. I just need a rest. I deserve it. Yeah, we're all about us. It's me. It's all about me. We're tempted to take shortcuts in every area of life. We, we, we think to ourselves, well, man, I'm going to go to a church where I don't need to do so much work. I can just turn up on a Sunday. I can, I can worship Jesus and love him and I can go home again. Yeah, we can be tempted to think that shortcuts to success. Oh, no, I'm not going to, you know, when we had an extension done in our house, we had loads of options. In our old house, we had an extension. We had loads of options. We could have done an extension that didn't require foundations and, oh, well, let's just get something built. I want to enjoy it. Isn't there a story in the Bible about that? Getting something built and just so you can enjoy it in the moment. Shortcuts to success. We're tempted to look for instant results and problem-free building. And you know what? Scarily, in the church, we think instant results and problem-free stuff is God's blessing. We think God has blessed us because, look, look at the fruit. You know, we advertise Gavin Peacock and then loads of people turn out. Oh, isn't God great? He's building his church. We can think instant results mean something and problem... Look, I didn't have any problems. That's a sign of the blessing of God. We can think that. Whereas, often with God, the very opposite is true. Results are not always instant. There's usually loads of problems. Yeah, really? That's a better sign that you're in the will of God. And we 
can relate that to marriage. Yeah, I marry someone who I'm really attracted to. It's really wonderful, and you know, and things seem to be working. They love me back. I mean, Donovan prayed it. You know, prayed it. It's wonderful, and it is wonderful. You know, you declare love for someone; they declare love back. It's a wonderful feeling. And you can think, you can think, you can, you can get in your head that that's it, that now, it, now, now we're off. It's wonderful. It's a barrier to progress. The other barrier to progress that we can have is our fear of commitment and hard work. We fear commitment and we fear hard work. One of the interesting ironies of our time is this. More and more people who want to be married, remain single. Yeah? So people who want to be married, they remain single. And I'm not just talking about the Christian, although it applies to the Christian as well. And there are many reasons for this. But I think there are a couple that I want to highlight. First of all, one of the reasons some people who want to be married remain single is they've idolised marriage. And not only have they idolised marriage, what they're doing is they've idolised the type of person they want to marry. So, well, you know, I've got my list. You know, I've, I've gone to God. God, you know he has to be six foot. He ha- if he's not six foot God, there's no point. If he's not earning this amount of money, what's the point in marrying someone who doesn't earn this amount of money? What's the point if he's not the best look? What's the point? You have a list. I mean, and guy, guys, to be honest, are terrible for lists. Yeah? I mean, although guys, the thing about guys, they don't write the list down. Yeah, they see it. Oh. No. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, guys are much more like that. They don't, girls write lists down and, uh, you know, but guys don't write lists down, but they can see the list. Yeah, they can spot it. Yeah, now really what they do is they just spot one aspect and they think, well, that's, that's it. So, so, so lots of people who want to be married but they remain single, partly because they idolise marriage and they have too high an expectation of a potential spouse. And nobody ever comes close you know, so they get disappointed. God, what are you doing? Where is she? You know, and you, you think that and you think, and suddenly you're thinking more about yourself than maybe you ought to. Where is she, this, this woman that you've got for me? But secondly, one of the, another reason why more people remain single, um, even though they want to be married, is the fear of commitment. And it's not because people don't want intimacy, they do. Everybody wants intimacy. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be looked after and cared for. But they fear the commitment and the cost that that comes, that comes with it. And so what they do is they seek intimacy in uncommitted relationships. So they just pursue relationships and maybe more outside in the world than in the church, they pursue relationships, they gain a level of intimacy, but they're not committed to it. They're not committed to it. And as I talked about last week, marriage and sex in marriage is costly. You might think it's just pleasure, but it's costly because every situation your marriage goes through impacts what goes on in your bedroom. Every situation, every circumstance. And if you're married, you know that. You know you were about to walk up and make love to your wife and then you had a bit of an argument and it was all over. And you're like, oh my goodness, what happened? And you've not let learn how to, how do I not say that? Yeah, I messed it up at the last minute. How did I not say that? But it happens. Every situation or you get a phone call or, or something out or the kids wake up and you're like, oh my goodness me. 
but it is affected by everything. And so the fear of commitment can be such a big thing for people that they worry, you know, oh, what if I, if I do that, if I do... No, okay, I will, I will pursue the intimacy because I want that, I like that, but I'm not going to be committed to anyone. And in the church, we might not pursue the in- intimacy so much, or we say, oh, we'll just find it in God, I'll find it in God. But do you know what? Some of you should be getting married and finding it in a husband or a wife because that's part of God's blessing for you. Don't hold back and think to yourself, don't over-spiritualise marriage, please. Don't over-spiritualise the person you will marry. Don't think to yourself, if I pursue the perfect person, it will be easier because it won't. Too many people have done that. I know people have done that. Yeah, they've pursued the perfect person and actually 20 years down the line, they're not so perfect anymore. So there are barriers to progress, to how we make marriage last and how we make it work. So I'm just going to run through some things about how do I build a marriage that lasts. And obviously I've only got a, a certain amount of experience of this, yeah, because I, I, you know, I've only married Pauline, we've only married 22 years, and we've married in a particular circumstance and situation, and your situation and circumstance might be different. But as I said, there are some things that if you're going to build a Christian marriage, they should be in place. Yeah? This isn't personality. This isn't, oh, you're like that, because just, that's just you. Or that's what Pauline... No, there are certain things that ought to be in place if you are going to build a Christian marriage that lasts and it's enjoyable and you don't just endure it. Yeah? Some people don't like coming home to their wives. I like coming home to Pauline. Yeah? I like it. Now, it's not to say that we don't have all the issues that you have in terms of, you know, she, you know often she's disappointed in me. I've said that before. But, but that disappointment comes in a, in a context where I know I'm accepted. Yeah? I know I'm accepted. Therefore, when she expresses that disappointment, I just have to isolate that and just push it out the head, push it out of my head. Okay, so how do I build a marriage that lasts? First thing is this. It's well-designed, or, or more importantly, follow God's pattern for marriage. If you design things properly, they work properly. If you design things wrongly, they don't work properly. You can get things to work that are not properly designed, but they never work properly. Yeah, and that, that happens in life. You know that. You'll know that in, in anything that you do. You'll know that you know, when you try and connect up the computer, you can, you can sometimes get things to work, but you've, but you've done a bodge job. Yeah? You can do a bodge job on marriage. You can get it to work. But if you follow the design that God has set in place, it will work best. And you won't need to be perfect. It will just work, it will work better for you. And there's a couple of things just to note on that. First of all is this. And I'm going to use the term authority because I think that's a biblical term, even though we don't like it. Authority, according to the Bible, runs vertically. Yeah? God has authority over the church. You know, actually, if you, if you go into the scripture, the father has authority over the son. And the way God instituted it was that the husband has placed first place in the marriage, in the family. That's how God designed it. That's hard for us because we live in a world where equality is number one. But the problem with equality being number one is not only have you missed the God aspect, but you also end up having to sort of... uh, You don't play the role that you're meant to play, really. 
And if you don't play the role you're meant to play, you'll end up doing things you're not meant to be doing, and your wife or your husband will end up doing things that they're not meant to be doing. So I just say authority runs vertically. I can say more on that. Maybe they'll get questions on that um, when we go upstairs at the end. But it runs vertically. It's part of the pattern that God put in, puts in place. He doesn't change it at the husband and wife level in the same way he doesn't change it with the children. Children obey your parents. It's an authority structure that God puts in place. We don't change that. Even in the 21st century, nobody thinks that parents should obey their children. We still think children obey parents. And that's, that's how it's... So, and that is about leadership. The second thing about God's pattern is invest in your marriage as first priority when it comes to human relationships. It's your first priority. It's the number one thing that you should do. Over and above your kids, over and above your career, over and above everything else you do on this earth, you should invest in your marriage. And do you know what? We tell our kids that. They get a bit bored of that, that, that we make more of our relationship than our relationship with them, not because we don't love them, but we are teaching them to become independent and interdependent, and we're trying to model something for them. So we invest first in the marriage. And do you know how you know whether you're investing first in your marriage? How many of your hours are spent with your wife as opposed to with your children? How many of your hours are spent with your wife as opposed to your job? You need to think about that. Because if you find that you're spending more hours with your children maybe you're the wife or the husband, then you are with your husband, then you need to think, am I investing in the right place here? Because if you don't invest in the right place, then the, it, the design doesn't work. It doesn't. It's not all about how much money can I earn. I know sometimes for husbands, you're, it's about, well, I need to provide. Yeah, That is a big thing for them. It's about provision. But provision is not about being absent. It's actually about being present. It's not about how much money you bring in, it's about how much you invest. And so I would say that, and that's been a big thing uh, for Pauline and I, that we invest first in the marriage, over and above everything else. And by investing in the marriage first, we create the environment where, where the kids are a bit more secure. Yeah, and they, they just see it modeled. So where you can do that. Now, I know if you're, if you're, if you're a single parent, you, you can't do that. But what you must do is still maintain appropriate relationships with your children. If you're, if you're a parent here, if you're a single parent, your children are not to be like your best friend where you put all your emotional stuff into them. That isn't how it's meant to work. You still have to find that somewhere in order that you can play an appropriate role with your children. So I would say invest, follow God's plan. Secondly, good foundations. Get the fundamentals right. And just two things on this, and I've talked about these before. Marriage as grace and marriage as gospel. So marriage as grace is about submission. This is wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And at the end of the passage it says, and the wife must respect her husband. Now that is hard because we live in a world where it, it, no, it doesn't talk about that. We don't talk about submission. We don't talk about um, that type of relationship. We talk about equality. But actually, if you're going to get your marriage right and you're going to build a Christian marriage, you must, you, these things still apply. The difference for us is submission requires more humility than it might have done in the first century for the wife. But we must do it. My, wives must respect their husbands. Because if you don't respect him, you undermine him. 
If you undermine him, he will never be the type of person he's meant to be. Now, I'm not saying the husband needs to always be the big leader, because some husbands are not like that. But wives must respect their husband. And part of the way you respect your husband is you accept your role and you accept his role. Why? Because what's he talking about? He's talking about Christ and the church. And in that situation, he's talking about the wife being like the church. The church submits to Christ, who's the head, and in that same way, wives submit to husbands as the head. That's why we do it. We don't do it because that's just, that's just because um, it's a good way of keeping men up and women down. That's not why we do it. We do it because this is what the Bible tells us to do. Secondly, and I think even more importantly for me, marriage as gospel. It's about sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you sacrifice yourselves for your wives. That's what you do. Yeah? You take the hits. Yeah? You take the knocks. You're the one that goes, do you know what, my love? Okay. You're the one that's always on the front foot for reconciliation. Now, I know for some of you thinking, oh, my life, I mean, don't put more on me. Don't say this to her. <laughs> don't let her hear these words. Yeah? Because your situation is such that you're thinking, it's already. Now, remember, I've said to wives, you must submit to your husband and you must respect your husband. But equally, husbands, you must sacrifice for your wife. You must love your wives. The Bible says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He gave himself up for her. Yeah? Her success was his success. He gave himself that the church might become the bride. That's what he did. And so husbands, you must do that. So you don't withdraw, you don't shut down, you engage. And it's really important. And I would say that although Pauline and I, we never, we've never sat down and gone through Ephesians 5 and said, you know what, how are we going to work this out? We've never done that. But we sort of do this. Yeah? And I see the benefit of doing this now. Yeah? I see the fact that though at times leading a church plant like Beacon has been a really tremendous difficulty for us, our relationship actually has never suffered. That has been the best source of strength I've ever had, is my relationship with Pauline. And remember, she never wanted to church plant. Now, she reminds me of that. Yeah? She reminds me of that. But again, she's reminding me in the context of, I am totally, totally with you. She still reminds me. She still occasionally has to get in there. So well-designed, follow God's pattern, get the foundations right, submission and sacrifice. Work on it. Thirdly, build it well and keep building. The biggest danger, one of the biggest dangers we have is we don't think, we think that there comes a point where we've built our marriage and that's it. Isn't it wonderful? We've been married five years, we've done the marriage course, we've got a couple of children, we've got a mortgage. Isn't God good? And now we're just going to rest. Actually, you need to keep building. And this is so important to keep building why? I've got here, marriage changes people. Actually, life changes people. But marriage definitely changes people. And it doesn't always change them as you think it will. It doesn't change them in the way that you think. But don't ever give up on being changed. 
People change, and that's, that's life. So don't think to yourself after five years of marriage, well, she's not the same. You know, I thought that Mary was going to be like this. When I met her, she was like this, and it's not the same anymore. And Okay, we've got two kids, and we've got a mortgage, and she has to work all this, but it's not the same. Life changes. People change. And some, at some level, you just need to get over that, because that is part of life. Change. It happens. Don't be naive enough to think that the person that you married will stay the same. They won't. Now, there are aspects of the person you married who stay, that stays the same, and, and, and there are some things about Pauline that have remained exactly the same. You know, she still um, just wants to do her own thing, and it's, the circumstances of life mean that she can't do it as much as she would, but she keeps threatening, and I keep praying about this. She keeps threatening that, do you know what, I mean, when the kids are older and they've gone off, we're going to go back to how we were. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't have the energy to be rushed around everywhere. I can't spend all my time shopping. I can't do it. So I'm like, God, what are we going to do about this? But what's interesting about that is we're talking about something that won't occur for us for years, but we talk about it now. That's how you prepare for things, prepare for change. You talk about it. As I said earlier, when I married Pauline, she was not perfect for me. Perfection has come through the joys and the pains, the intense late-night conversations and incidental discoveries, the tragedies and the successes that we have shared together. That's how perfection has come. Yeah? And do you know how grace has come? Because I realised that Pauline accepts me, even though she knows me very, very well, she accepts me. Fundamentally, I am accepted. Secondly, understand the seasons. And this is so important to understand that things change. It's a bit like that first one, but it's not just about um, people change. This is about the seasons of life change when you get married. When you're first married, and maybe, I remember when we were first married, we had a flat and we, we had no children. So we just, used to, we just used to do our own thing. We had no boundaries. We didn't used to keep any responsibility. Providing we could pay the mortgage, that was it. And we would go to meetings and we wouldn't go to meetings and all that type of stuff. Now, I'm not advocating that because we can't afford you not to come to meetings. But in that season, it was very different to the season we had when we started having children. And that season of when our children were young was very different to when our children could walk and they went to school. And then when our children got older and they became teenagers, every season is different. And if you don't recognise the difference, you can easily get perturbed by the change. Because suddenly, when you think about, say, love languages, your wife's love language has changed. It's no longer about affection, because now you've got three kids, and they're all under six. Her love language is works. She needs you to help. And it changes, and you must understand the change, because it happens to everyone. But so many marriages fall on this. They just think, oh, she's not the same anymore different she's not she's not the same what am I supposed to do when I married her she was like this and now it seems that I can't do anything right so understand the seasons and prepare for them if you can so Pauline and I were talking years ago about the season that we are in right now yeah we were talking years ago when she was working and she was saying I don't know what I'm going to do I don't know, I don't like my job, what am I going to do in my life, where am I going to go? And we're heading up to sort of 40 years of age at that point, and I'm like, at one level I could go, oh my goodness me, what are we going to do about that? But actually we began a discussion, we began to talk about seasons and change and transition. Transition is so important, it happens to everyone, 
And we go, we're going through transitions right now with our girls. Yeah, they've reached 16 and 18, a bit more independent. They're actually not at school now. One of them's looking maybe to go to university. We're in a changing season. Yeah, and always in a changing season, you must be aware of it. Thirdly, learn to communicate. Better to face constant small battles now rather than all-out war. Don't just put things on the back burner. Learn to communicate. Don't ever stop talking. If you're not very good at talking, learn to talk because it's so important. And that can be hard if you're independent or you're an introvert or maybe you've married later in life. It can be hard to express yourself, but you must learn to talk. Next, don't dismiss, ignore small issues. The devil is in the detail. So if you have, if you have small tensions, don't ignore them. If you observe little things, don't think to yourself, oh, that's not important. Now, there's a time and a place to raise it, but at times you need to raise it and you need to deal with it and you need to ensure that those things don't become big things. Learn from your mistakes and the mistakes others make. And again, this is something that Paulie and I have been intentional about, finding good role models, but also observing bad role models, seeing what we would like to do and seeing what we don't want to do. Learn to enjoy, not just endure. One of the things I love about being married to Pauline is we enjoy the little things of life. Yeah? Now, I'm not a big shopper and I, and I grumpy, I get grumpy, but I quite like going to the shops with Pauline because she's telling me what she's thinking and what's going on in her head. We do lots of things together, whether it's cooking or tidying up or just sorting out family stuff. We do a lot of it together. The song we had sung at our wedding remains in some ways, two of us. Don't go trading to try to please me. And it talks about, I love you just the way you are. I don't want clever conversation. I love you just the way you are. And finally, in his book, Brothers, We're Not Professionals, John Piper talks about this moment where he is asked by his son to write a poem for his wedding. And he calls the poem, Love Her More by Loving Her Less. And basically the poem really talks about the design again. And it talks about the most important thing you can do is to ensure you love God more than you love your spouse. That you pursue God more than you pursue your spouse. That you find satisfaction in God more than you do your spouse. And if you do that, you will actually be loving her more or him more than, than loving her less. So you've got to understand that your first priority as a Christian is to pursue your relationship with God. Your spouse doesn't replace that. In Tim Keller's book, he talks about this. God's best gift. Recognise your best source for growth, spiritually and emotionally, is your spouse if you are married. And the reason we've gone on about marriage is because we see marriage as fundamental to the Christian experience of life. It's not because we think marriage is better than singleness, but it is fundamental. And the reason I talk the way I do is I want us to pursue marriages that are great, that are well-built, and that can carry weight and, and families, and that are a reflection of the gospel. Just going to pray as we close.
Father, I want to give you thanks and praise that you instituted this thing called marriage and it was something that could be built upon. It was something that could carry weight. It was something that we were to engage with. And Lord, my prayer now is for every, every married couple here. If you're, if you're married here, can I ask you to stand where you are, just if you're married, whether your husband or your wife is with you, just stand where you are. I just want to say to those of you who are still sitting, it's your, in your interest that these marriages work. It's in your interest that they work because they become models for you. They become examples. They become examples that are worth following. If, if we don't see good marriages, we won't produce good marriages. So it's in our interest. And so, Father, I want to pray for every married couple here, every married person here. I want to pray your blessing on their marriage. Lord, I want to pray that they won't hear these words and dismiss them and think, oh no, it is a bit of personality thing. I pray that people will take the building of marriage seriously and they will build these relationships. I pray where adjustments need to be made, they will be made. I pray for husbands who give more to work than their wives to make that adjustment. I pray maybe where, where parents give more time to their children than their marriage, they will make that adjustment. I pray where couples need to maybe come together and apologise for the way things have been, they will make that adjustment. I pray, God, that people will do what they need to do to ensure their marriages are on the right foundation and they get well built. We thank you, God, there is grace for this. You can sit down. And Father, I just want to pray for all of us, whether we are married or single or think of people who are dating or engaged. Lord, I pray that we will all benefit from the strength of good marriages, the example of good marriages and what they bring to us as a community, and what they ultimately bring to our, our wider community here, and what they say about you. God, we want people to know you, to see you through good marriages. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.